This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Pogopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Alejandro Berea. Alejandro is the English learning cynic, intentional dad, advocate for Spanglish as a life-changing hack. He is the guy who is obsessed with assassinating the traditional English class. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Roman. It's uh, quite an honor to be here with you. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Obviously, we spoke offline before, so English is my second language as well. So, I mean, it's an interesting interview for me. Yeah. um, So I've always loved English. I I don't even know how that really happened. I was just too young. And the fact is, I just, I wanted to read books and watch movies in English and school was just not doing it. And I just really got into it since I was really, really young. And then it kind of became my life. I didn't even realize it. I started teaching when I was 16 because my, well, basically I needed to help my dad pay through uh, my junior high school tuition. And I started teaching. That was the most profitable thing I could do at the time. And I thought, why not? And somebody was uh, nice slash dumb enough to hire me, you know, a 16 year old teaching. So that's how we, I got into this universe really. Yeah, and I, I came to the U.S. from Ukraine when I was five in 1990. And like the way that I was able to learn it so quickly, obviously phonetically, if you learn languages before a certain age, you don't have an accent and it's quicker to pick up. But I was thrown into class. I had friends that spoke English. So it, like, it forced me to communicate and be situational. Whereas when my parents came with me in terms of learning English, it was more so in the class setting because we moved to a community that there were a lot of Ukrainian speakers, so they didn't necessarily have to learn English as fast because they worked with Ukrainian speakers as well. So I think like the learning mechanism and the way you do it, I think plays a large role as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so, you, you know, what happened is that I, I, I got trained in the traditional ways of teaching people English. I got this really thick book and I got the recorder with tapes and that kind of stuff. Then I actually got certified as a teacher for English as a second language. And uh, basically I got to a point where I got so frustrated that I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore because my students would not learn. You know, I would, I would be with them, you know, as a teacher for six months, one year, and there was no progress. And I, I just decided to give up and I started to, you know, divert and doing different things in kind of the same industry I actually became a certified court translator, court interpreter in French, English, and Spanish. And then I actually did GMAT and G, GRE training, which I was totally unqualified for, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, that, that kind of just stayed away and I didn't want to be known as a teacher at all. I, I was embarrassed of people telling me that I was a teacher. And, um, and then one guy came up to me. Well, one guy after many others. Um, I was actually a value consultant for a San Francisco startup at the time. 
And he was like, how did you learn your English? Because I know you're Mexican, but I hear you talking. How did you pick, how, how did you, how did you do that? And that's when I realized I really can help people do the same thing. I just need to figure out how, how I did it and how people like you, Roman, did it. And I'm pretty sure that can be turned into something that works for, for people. That's why I'm assassinating the traditional English class. Yeah, because I think uh, I was put, when I came when I was five into kindergarten, and then there, obviously, I couldn't speak a word of English, so they put me in English second language, which was basically like a class for maybe an hour or two a day, but that didn't necessarily help me. The actual interactions on the playground or outside of that or like meeting people and then them kind of teaching me and me seeing like they're calling this, that, that in like real world uh, scenarios, that's what actually helped me learn as fast as I did. I mean, I guess I, I could speak in a few months and then I guess a year and a half I was fluent enough to test out of that class. So I think that class really didn't do anything. It just tested me out of taking the class, but learning it was, you know, the real world scenarios. Uh, so yeah, to that, I have a super close friend of mine who was my business partner for 10 years. We're still super close friends. He got a Cambridge successful Cambridge certificate. He took Cambridge tests, really good scores. Uh, he studied a hybrid dual program, you know, US, Mexico and MBA. And, and he could still not the meaning in English. Just yesterday, I was mentoring somebody, um, a Colombian super successful woman in a really big company, food company, and she was telling me that she actually went to London to study English. And she cannot do a meeting in English. She cannot, you know, she doesn't feel comfortable. And, you know, when I started listening to these people, that's when I, you know, just little aha moments started coming up. Like I realized that, you know, it's all wrong. You know, you do, I mean, and I really love what the Duolingo people are trying to do, but I just think they're doing it wrong um, because it's just not about the language. It's not about the grammar. It's, I mean, we're humans and we're emotional. So basically it's emotional. Everything begins with the emotions, with the motivation, with what, what drives you, you know, as a, I don't know if I can say it out like here, but you know, as a foster parent with the super massive heart that you must have to do that, that's what drives you. So if, if that's what I use to help you achieve a goal, then that'll, I'll probably succeed. But if I tell you, hey, Roman, let's come up with a perfect something, you're going to be like, why would I care about that? So that's when I really started like designing this thing around emotions. And I was super insecure about designing an English learning method, you know, that's basically revolves around emotions. I was, because nobody has done it. And it, it didn't feel right because, you know, when you're talking to people and they're trying to buy your system, they're like, oh, yeah, but what, emotions? What, are you going to teach people using emotions? And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And guess what? It works, and it works better and faster than anything else because I'm considering you as a human being. So, yeah, I, I, I totally connect with that as well, and that's, that's how I, that came to happen, the, the emotions thing. Yeah, and it actually leads into the next question. So I think the each person's motivation is different. Obviously, they're different in different stages of your life. Obviously, you have you know children before you didn't. You may have been motivated by something else at that part of your life, maybe five, ten, you know, fifteen years ago. And now those motivations have changed, and that's what drive you. So if you want to learn something, like you said, 
what's motivating motivating you. You can't just say, okay, well, if you learn English or if you learn French or if you learn German, you're going to make X amount of more money. Like that's super general. That's all well and good. But if the, it's not like that passion behind it, maybe you'll learn it, but maybe you'll learn it not to the level where it excites you or it's like super proficient where it's like you're every day or you implement it a little differently. So what currently motivates you to succeed? Oh, um, <laughs> really good question. Um, I would definitely say I, I want to prove something to myself. You know, there I'm, I'm probably, you know, I'm going to use the opportunity to talk a little bit about my life. I've always, I, I was an entrepreneur. I was an independent person for a long time. I actually moved out of my parents when I was 16. Um, and then, a, you know, it's just a weird, long story. But the thing is, I, I thought I was a business person. And then at some point in my life, I realized that I was a freelancer, a glorified freelancer. So really, right now, I am at a point in my life where I, where I want to prove to myself that I can really change a lot of people's lives for the better. That's, you know, when, when, when you know, if I help you for Spanish, with Spanish, for, for instance, and then in a month and a half, you're communicating with your Spanish-speaking buddies, then that is really what makes my life. And the other thing, it's um, so I really want to prove myself that I can be serious about this and that I can turn this into something massive. So I am on this right now. I do have, I didn't understand the eye of the tiger uh, image symbol until I can tell probably two years ago. No, no, no further than that. And the other thing is one of the latest lessons that I've uh, learned in life. And, you know, it's probably something that you learned probably earlier than, than I did is focus, the value of focus, you know, and being conscious and being present. And then basically, I, I would like to pass that on to my children. I would like them to see a driven dad. And I want them to see how if you really, really get your mind into something, you're going to get a lot of slaps in your face. You're going to fail. But then if you really have the eye of the tiger, you're really on it. You can make it. So, yeah, I definitely want to prove something to me, to my wife, to my daughters. And uh, probably, you know, my I was raised for the first five years of my life by my grandmother. You mentioned uh, something about your dad before we, we went live. Um, and actually, I was raised by my grandmother. She was always there for me because my mom was too young when I was born. And she was there, too. Um, and she, she passed almost actually 19 years ago this December. And um, I don't know, I do, I actually, whenever I pray in the morning, every single morning I pray and she's in my prayers and I always, I, I want to show her, you know, just don't, don't let me lose everything you gave me, you know, in terms of my emotions and the heart. And let me show you that uh, you were not wrong to place some faith in me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those, like you said, those motivations kind of change. And I think like for me, when I turned 30, like it, it switched from like, um, chasing titles or like paychecks or promotions to more like uh, leaving a legacy, like you said, and being more of a, you know, heart led entrepreneur where you're helping as many people as possible and you're getting that satisfaction and reward. And I think also like thinking about it, I didn't think about it at the time, but I took four years of Spanish from, I guess, seven, seventh grade to 10th grade, but I didn't necessarily retain a lot of it. But then I started going to an English and Spanish speaking church where the services were in English and Spanish. 
So sitting there and listening to it and then listening to it being translated back and forth, back and forth, like led me to pick it up and retain a lot more than, you know, four years of sitting in a class. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, that, that, that's uh, a lot of the things that have actually led me to this path. I'm, I'm actually just doing, that's funny because when I have a, I have a, a, a group of fantastic people who believe in this project, they're um, my advisors. And, you know, in the early meetings, they're like, hey, this is great. Let's do a lot of languages. And I'm like, I'm not going to do a lot of languages. I am not. I, you know, it's not, it's not that I don't care about the other languages, but I, I know that what really makes a difference today in this capitalist world is if you know English, your income possibilities are much greater, your friendship, your access to knowledge, your access to education with English changes dramatically. That's why my goal is to really just help people learn English. And, and you know, people were trying to drive me away from that. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, this is a business and I'm going to make you money. Don't worry about that. Money is going gonna, gonna to pour in because this is a market that's ready for to buy because they're thirsty for a solution that works. Because just like you, you said, you know, I don't know how many, uh, I think a massive proportion of Americans uh, go through their, the basic education system. They take Spanish and they don't retain a bit. You know, they know tackle because they can buy them around the corner, but not because they really learn it in school. And that's what, it, that's what really pisses me off. It really, you know, me encabrona. Uh, because I don't think that's okay. You know, us humans going through five years of Spanish. One of my mentors in SCORE, um, you know, fantastic guy, um, and he was telling me, I've been doing Duolingo for four months and still nothing. And I'm like, how is that acceptable? How are we okay with that? How, how is that something that we're allowing to happen? And that's what I'm not allowing to happen. When, when I'm mentoring something, somebody or we're doing these workshops, uh, I can tell you for real, and that's probably one of my defects as, a, as an entrepreneur, that I am always talking about for real instead of doing a marketing message that sounds pretty and sells. And I don't like it because it's not real. I don't like it. I, I cannot stand behind it. And I can tell everybody that, I, that we, have, we have been mentoring for real. People are, you know, performing in real life situations. They're ordering in restaurants. They're calling the bank, the Spanish line or the English line, you know, depending on what they're learning. In a month and a half, three months, I'm not telling you they have perfect English because that's not my goal. And that's one of the things that, really makes people confused and a little bit worried sometimes. Like, I'm not going to teach you. I'm not going to give you a perfect English. I'm going to give you an English that can help you live a life in English, which is different from a perfect English. If you're not a translator, if you're not a celebrity, if you're not a politician, you should not care about a perfect English. That's, that's what I think. And if you do want it, even though you're not one of those people, do it. But that goes at the end. You know, once you communicate, once you can read books, once you can read articles, once you can take a course, then you can say, oh, now let's, you know, do some grammar and let's perfect our written English and that's going to... So, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's one of the, other, of the problems that I'm trying to solve. I, I just don't think it's acceptable that you spend so much time of a short life because we do not spend too long in this world and it just goes to the wastebasket. I just don't, 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 don't find it acceptable. 
Yeah, I mean, in school, it's just getting a grade because sometimes you're, you know, forced to take an elective. And in the U.S., it's either uh, Spanish or French, usually. Yeah, there's some German, like minimal German. But I mean, that's that's predominantly what's what's being taught. And I mean, it's being taking taken a lot because not they want to learn it, but a lot of kids think it's easier than French or German. So they're taking the easier route just to get the grade. And then, you know, they're not learning it to learn it or use it or implement it. Or like you said, be functional in it, not necessarily 100% fluent. But, you know, if you go to you know Central South America, you can actually have a conversation or, you know, network with. Spanish speakers that don't necessarily speak English or aren't as strong as English. So I think like the motives are a little different for, I mean, I'm thinking back to seventh grade me, that that was the motive. You know, Spanish was easier. Let me take Spanish. It was, you know, hola, mi amo Ramon. <laughs> that was my, that was my, uh, you know, spiel in my pit. So I think it's just like, if you're learning it really to use it or you're learning it because, you know, you're kind of forced to learn it. So this is, uh, you know, how like, uh, this could be the beginning of a time capsule. I, I really see our interview right now like that. Uh, because in two, three years, things are going to change. Because of what I'm doing, things are going to change. Because people are like, are going to be like, wait, so th that's not the way you, we learn languages? Oh, wait. So, and then what I'm thinking right now is, and I know my head just goes wild sometimes, but um, what if... You know, for example, I don't know how 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 uh, how old your kids are, but what if you know instead of passing, just getting the grade, you know, we can truly change that system and turn that into a real life skill. So that then you have you know an education system that's forcing kids through Spanish or or French or whatever it is, and that becomes a skill. It starts as I'm I'm in seventh grade and I just want to get the grade. But what if, you know, the, the approach in the, you know, the delivery of the knowledge changes in a way that they're like, oh, my God, this can actually help my life. You know, I can, I can perform in several languages, in several cultures. And then you got people who are so much more prepared, so much more competitive. And honestly, the other thing that I love about learning languages, and I'm pretty sure you understand this part, and I would like as many people to understand this, is just learning, knowing more than one language is just fulfilling, isn't it? Would, would you say, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, even when you learn them young enough, I think it opens up parts of your brain and like programs you to think a little bit di uh, differently. I mean, I think you would understand that, but I, only a person that knows more than one language and became a native speaker either younger or like was a passion to, to learn you know, an, another language, like you said, it was a passion, not necessarily like forced to do so. So like, like learning it right when I was getting into like the first year of schooling and knowing um, English and Ukrainian and then speaking both. It's interesting because then I don't know how it is for you, but I, I like switch the way I think. So I can think in Ukrainian. I can think in English like you're you're talking to me in um, in English. I can process it in Ukrainian or I can speak in Ukrainian, but I'm thinking it's just like crazy how your brain becomes programmed when you know multiple languages. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, that's one of the things that I'm fascinated by. So um, one of the most popular questions, I don't know if you've uh, ever come across this, but when, when, when you're learning a language, of course, you have a native language. Or maybe you have two, which is your case, because you kind of have two really native languages because you're, you, you learned it so young. Um, 
when people learn, so what, what my, my main focus actually is on adults, you know, which is interesting because I want to prove the world. I want to destroy the notion that um, it's been a long living notion that when you're an adult, you're less capable to learn a language. And that is BS. And I have proven that over and over again, not only with myself, because actually from the five languages that I can speak fluently, uh, three of them I learned, you know, much older. Like French, I learned it, I started learning it when I was probably 14 to 15. And then German, I started when I was almost 30. And Portuguese, I started when I was actually over 30 and so forth. So um, the thing is, when I, when I, people ask, how do I stop translating in my head? Como, how, how can, como, stop, como puedo yo stop translating in my head? And people are like, because it's really annoying because you're watching a TV show and you're like, oh my God, I'm translating and it's, it just drives you nuts. And one of the tactics that I use in people is, you know, I, I use super short bursts of learning, like literally five to 10 seconds. And I get them to focus on the senses, which is I actually give them something to, to grab, you know, or I give them something to smell, okay? And I just tell them, just say this. Don't bother. It doesn't matter if you say it wrong. Just say it. You know, just feel your, your lips, your throat. It's, it's, a, it's a funny way of teaching people, really, really helping people learn because you, I'm not telling them, okay, repeat after me. Repeat after me. It's, not, it's never like that. It's really you know, reproduce this sound, reproduce it, main cabrona. Now I'm, I'm showing you how to say main cabrona, which is it pisses me off, okay? And you say, it doesn't matter if you say it wrong, okay? And then people are like, oh, wow, it doesn't matter, number one. Number two, they really start focusing on the sound. And the beauty of that, just like you were saying about Ukrainian, is you're really, how can I say, like forcing you're extruding your brain through the new mindset because you, when you learn a new language, you're not learning just a set of words. You're learning a way of thinking and a way of living. Like, you know, like the, the way Spanish is structured is completely different from English because that's the way we think. And I don't know Ukrainian. I actually spoke a little bit of Czech because I lived in, and that's the closest that I can get to Ukrainian. And I know that just the, the way it's structured really shows you how Czechs think. I don't know if you have like, like maybe I would like to hear an example about Ukrainian and mindsets. Like how does that, like do you use it on a daily basis, by the way? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's very direct. I mean, it's a Cyrillic alphabet. So obviously Ukraine is, you know, a Slavic uh, like nation or people that whole region but i mean it's the same basically alphabet that uh, russian is in but it's funny because ukrainians understand russian because we were kind of forced to learn it during the soviet union but russians don't understand ukrainian even though they use the same alphabet so it's one of those uh, one of those things and even nobody natively taught me Russian, but I understand Russian because it was just like spoken and picked up. There are similarities, but then there's world, uh, words that are different. Russian, uh, it's not as hard as German, like in terms of like German, sometimes you overhear people speak German. It sounds like they're yelling at each other. It's very hard. Um, and Ukrainian, it's not necessarily called a romance language, but it's, it's a lot more softer and, and subtler in terms of like the, the phonetics. 
Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, um, so, uh, for example, if I, if I teach you right now uh, Spanish, it's a, very, it's a very emotional language. And one of the thing is, um, we have this thing where, um, okay, this is, this is fantastic. If you travel to Latin America, you will notice that everybody says um, telefonito, okay? There's always an ito, ita. It's the diminutive. It's for everything. And that's what I meant when I was saying that it really tells you a lot about the mindset because we're all about caring. We're all about hugging and supporting. And, we, you know, we actually get offended um, <laughs> When people say no, for example, when somebody from Europe comes to you and you're like, hey, you want to come over to my house and let's, you know, have dinner? And they're like, no, I can't. We're like, oh, my God, what's wrong with you, man? What did I do to you? So uh, that, that's, that's a little bit of what I try to do when I'm, when I'm helping people, when I'm mentoring people is I, I try to help them understand the mentality behind it. And you would be surprised how that speeds up the brain's understanding of the new thing because it's not, it's not just words anymore. It's like, oh, Alejandro, Alejandro told me that this is a telefono, but it's a telefonito. So if you go to Colombia, you're going to say, here's my telefonito. And people are going to be like, oh, wow, this guy is really cool and he cares. And that creates this whole, I call it the circle of dopamine, where, you know, if you're generating dopamine, you just learn faster. It's, it's a pretty simple scientific neurological fact. You know, it's like kids. You know, you know this. Your kids are playing. If you, if you teach them something while they're, while they're playing, they'll remember it almost magically. And then I'm like, why did we forget about doing that as adults? Why are we not having fun anymore when we're learning? And that's why I use, and I mentioned in the intro, you mentioned in the intro Spanglish, I show people how to use Spanglish. And for example, if, I don't know if you, you can even do that, like do Ukrainglish or... I do that with my, you know, with my mom a lot. Like half of the sentence or every other word is like English or Ukrainian or like half of the sentence is English, half of the sentence is Ukrainian. And because obviously she knows uh, both, it's become come, kind of this like slang that sometimes we use because, I mean... I learned Ukrainian. I left Ukraine when I was like four and a half. So although I am fluent in it, there's still like some words maybe I forgot. So when I can't think of that word quickly, I'll fill it with the uh, with the English, you know, English word. Okay, and that's the funny thing about that, you know, with Spanglish, Ukrainglish, or you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and this is what I try to help people understand. I don't know if that happens in the U.S., but here in Mexico, in most Latin America, when you go and take an English class, the teacher will be like super serious and, and be like, no Spanish in my class. And actually, that's one of the offerings in most of the traditional, uh, you know, providers, you know, institutions, organizations, they'll tell you no Spanish in our class. And I say, well, that's super messed up, man. You know, I did it. I actually did it. I was mean and I was a total a-hole to my students because I'm like, no Spanish, that's wrong. And then, you know, after I did a lot of reading on neurology and basically yeah, a lot of uh, crazy stuff, I, I, I re actually realized that if I tell them no Spanish, if I tell you right now, you cannot, you cannot use English when, when I'm teaching you Spanish, the only thing that's going to do is that's going to make you feel super insecure. Because when you don't have a word 
you're going to be like, I'm not going to say anything. And then you just don't say anything, literally. And that develops into a fear, almost a phobia, if you will. And then what I'm doing is, okay, so if you don't know the word, just go Spanglish and go Spanglish and go Spanglish. And this develops people's fluency. And the other thing that I love is more than fluency, and that's probably the golden nugget for me, it makes people confident. It empowers you because you just said something, maybe not fully in English, but you were able to communicate an idea. And the other beautiful thing that happens there is the other person will understand you even if they don't know the Spanish things that you said. Because there is one thing that's beautiful, which is intonation. And the brain understands intonation even if you don't know the words. So you, you can probably tell me something right now in Ukrainian, and I may be able to pick up a certain percentage of it, even though I literally don't know a single word in Ukrainian. Yeah, I agree. Well, you, spe- you said uh, you knew a little bit of ch- about Czech or, you know, a little of Czech. One summer when I was in high school, I was actually in Czech Republic for like three, four weeks. And then we played a lot of soccer, like pickup games on like the fields and stuff. And I managed to somewhat communicate, you know what I mean? Using English, using Ukrainian, using hand signals, pointing. But it's funny because there's some there's some words that are the same word but have totally different meanings. So in the Ukrainian, I, I, I'd say like, I'll be back soon. The same exact phrase or word means like, I'll see you like, you know, in a while, like a long period of time. So they were looking at me like I was crazy, but like it was it was one of those things where it's like, the similar words are used, but with different meanings. But yeah, like you piece together body language and pointing or showing in English. And I mean, it, it ends up working. So it, it worked. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a fantastic phenomenon. I think, um, yeah, so I guess if, if, if I could summarize this, uh, yeah, but that's, that's my, my current project. But that's, uh, the way I'm summarizing it is I, we're just empowering or how can I say this? We're just putting some steroids on, on some of the superpowers that we as humans already have. It's, it's really a lot about that. You know, it's not, and of course there's technology. I'm actually using virtual reality on, on pilots to help destroy people's fear of speaking. Um, and that's working, but it's a little bit of a dangerous territory because once they lose the fear, they can talk, but they can talk in the virtual environment. That's that's a different conversation. Um, but really, it's I mean, even though there's technology, we're, we're developing an app and using AI, and all of that is really nice and it sounds really really cool. And there's a lot of uh, data and you know dry stuff like that. Uh, and that's really really sexy for investors because they're always like, oh, that's really cool because we can make a lot of money. You can right, but really. Um, when you look at it like this, one of the things that surprises people the most, and honestly me too, is when, when we do Spanglish, because they, they come to me and they're like, I, I, don't, I don't know any English, man. You know, I really need your help and blah, blah. And then, you know, we start doing Spanglish and they realize that they know a lot more than they thought they did. And, and, and that, that's a really cool thing because it just, again, it makes people confident in how often can you get to say that you're making people confident? Because when you're making people confident, 
you're changing their lives. So it's not so much in the English learning, really, English learning is uh, the Amazon box, if you will. But what's inside is, is really this confidence that is being effectively delivered. And these people that are like, oh, my God, I can actually do this. I can get a better job. I can teach my children. I can, you know, one of the, my, my favorite examples is um, I, I was helping this guy who's like, I want to learn English because I don't understand my kids' assignments. He felt completely disconnected with his kids because they were doing, you know, they have English and they, they actually, he put them in a bilingual school because he could never pick English up. And then after we were working, you know, that one took a bit longer, a bit, a lot longer. It actually took us a bit over four months. And then four months, he didn't even notice because I was recording the Zoom, the Zoom session. Uh, his name is um, Jose. Yeah, I know Jose, right? Um, and we were in the Zoom call. I was recording and he's like, give me a second. And then he goes to his kids and he starts doing Spanglish with his children. And his children reply in Spanglish. And then he comes back like nothing, like, oh, well, you know, what were we doing? And I'm like, just give me a second. Let me show you something. <laughs> and then I show him the recording. He was, he was, like, if I tell you surprise, I'm probably understanding it. It's almost like he won the lottery. Like, I just gave him a million dollars right there in front of him. Like, he was like, oh. and that's, that's what we live for, right? Yeah, I agree. So what's one thing you may have seen as a weakness in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today? Ah, uh, man. Um, I have quite a few of those. So many, too many, actually. Um, I would definitely say a procrast procrastination. I, oh, man. I mean, to this day, that's one of my worst things. I, I don't enjoy it, but I've been able to turn it around. So yes, basically what happens to me is, especially when I when I need to do something that that is not just execution, you know, something that's creative, like for example, building a, a learning map. Uh, man, it takes me sometimes days, sometimes even weeks to really sit down and do the work. And I know that there's a lot of work going on. So, so basically, I am embarrassed to say that sometimes I I have blank improductive entire days and it, it angers me not not so much anymore but i can tell you that four five years ago i could have three completely improductive days like just like that gone and it pissed me off um and i and i looked for solutions and the way i turned that around is i actually i've always loved sports uh, but then I, I really got serious about it when my, my first daughter was, was about to be, when we were pregnant with our first daughter, because I wanted to be able to play with my daughter without back aches or muscle aches. I, I wanted to be able to keep up. And what happened there is I realized that by when, when I was just blank, I could actually just get up, start walking or stretching or doing push-ups, and I would literally do a push-up, take notes, and another push-up, and take notes. And that's how I really turned this procrastination into more of a brainstorming phase. 
uh, and and it's and I'm still a procrastinator. You know, I'm going to say this openly. I'm 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 not. I'm kind of jealous of people who are productive, like my wife. She just sits down and she just gets work done. Uh, and I wish I was like that, but I'm not. And the the other thing that I had to do with my procrastination is since I'm I have these short bursts of time, um, I really was forced to develop a laser focus where I'm saying, what's going to bring value to Roman? Okay, this thing. Okay, don't waste time with anything else. And I was able to actually become way more productive in bursts of two hours, three hours. And, and, and I wish I had 10, 12-hour days of productivity, which sometimes I get, but the reality is that that rarely ever happens. So, yeah, that's probably the most embarrassing professional thing that I can speak of personally. Yeah, I mean, I think no one is focused like 100% of the time or motivated because you see on social media and on other things, people that are like motivational or like gurus, like always, yeah, I'm motivated. No, behind closed doors, nobody's motivated 100% of the time, especially if they have kids, responsibilities, a million different things. I, I mean, these days I seem to be forgetting, you know, things so much like my keys because I have like, I have to do these 20 things today. Even though I'll make a list, a to-do list, it's still in the back of my head and I'm just shuffling things around. So like, taking a step back and like you said, like sometimes going for a walk or doing like a set of push-ups and clearing my head, like getting like an energy boost and refocusing. I think on a daily basis in the morning and throughout the day, I have to take a step back and like recalibrate and refocus because I'll just, you know, if, if I don't, it'll be like five, six in, in the afternoon, evening. And I feel like I didn't do anything because it was like four hours of just haziness and then quote unquote me thinking I'm multitasking, but it's like doing things. One thing's 5% done. One thing's 10% done. So I think that's really important. Well, uh, if I don't mind my asking you, you know, because I want to, you know, since we're talking, so what, what actually helps you? Like what kind of little things do you do to help you refocus or recalibrate? What, what do you do? Just quiet. I mean, <laughs> you probably understand with having kids like silence like five, 10 minutes of just complete silence, just to be with myself. Even that sometimes I don't even have that because right now having four foster children and, you know, with like the lockdowns and, you know, reshuffling things and all that. But I think just having like being at peace with myself and then like in quiet, really making a to-do list and then taking those, let's say five, 10, 15 things I have to do for the day. And like you said, organize them by level and importance. What do I have to do? What value is it going to have? Like the must-dos, things like that. And then just a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and just jump into the chaos, basically. Okay, yeah, that's that, that's useful. I love silence. I, do, I don't get a lot, a lot of that anymore. So I, sometimes, I don't know if you do that, but I, I have to get up too early in order to get just a little bit of silence. Because, I mean... The kids wake up earlier than than <laughs> my wife and I. So like they start singing or playing at like six in the morning, five thirty in the morning. Oh. So if I was waking up earlier than that, it would be like five or four forty-five or something like that. Oh no. Because then we have like oh. a routine. So I have to take some of the kids that are in preschool to preschool and then uh, you know, drops the other kids off and take I have two dogs, take the dogs out, and then so it's just one of those things where it's um chaotic in that sense all the time i think it's just a lot at least when you have children it's a lot about embracing the chaos right 
It's like, okay, let, let's let my kids teach me something and let's, let's see how I can use that teaching and turn it into something useful. Yeah, I think everything's a learning experience. And I mean, in the last two years, I became a foster parent June 1st of 2018. So since June okay. 1st of 2018, we fostered 21 kids. So each of those children is a learning experience. And oh each God. of those kids come from situations that are horrible, neglect, abuse, you know, seeing things, having things done to them. So it's like you learn something from each of them and like refocus and they help to refocus and recalibrate because sometimes you get an email that's maybe passive aggressive or negative news, or you get a phone call. And then like thinking back at that, like puts things into perspective, the things they've dealt with and how they're coping with, you know, their circumstances. Oh my God. That's, that's quite a shocking story. Now I, now I want to interview you. <laughs> yeah. Each, each case is a different story, a set of circumstances. And then, you know, a child is dropped off at your home and then you have to figure out how to make them feel safe and feel loved and then get a routine going because that's important because a lot of the time, you know, they're not fed. They're left at home for like 15, 16 hours by themselves. So giving them a routine in the schedule makes them feel a lot safer and comfortable because if they know breakfast every day is 8, 8 a.m., 7 a.m., and then lunch is at 2 p.m., dinner's at 6, they know they don't have to worry or be, you know, be anxious about not eating or when their next meal is or, you know, when bedtime is or when they play or things like that. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. And it's, you know, I've taken and applied a lot of stuff from me being a foster parent to like business and how I deal with other situations. So. Wow. Okay. No, that's, um, you're, you're literally my hero because one of the things that breaks my heart is, you know, children and how they're neglected and how they just don't get love. Just, you know, th that simple word, love, and what that represents is just, it just breaks my heart. You know, even with families that you say, oh, they're doing fine, and, you know, they just don't get the love. And it's just such a valuable thing. Oh, my God, yeah. And that, that's kind of bringing me to, to one more thing that it's, uh, it's a seed, but I want to tell you because if I tell you, that's going to force me to do it. One of the things that's happening a lot, surprisingly way too much, you know, you're helping kids. Uh, well, one of the things that really angers me is how women take abuse from macho men. And I want to start something where I can speak to those women as a man to tell them, you don't have to put up with that. You're nobody's maid. You're a person. And, you know, it's a team, I don't know, like that kind of thing. So you just inspired me to, to get started with that. So if I push that video out or podcast or whatever that turns into, it's going to be thanks to you. Now, yeah, I appreciate it. With the situation the kids are coming from, majority of them don't even know who their dads are. So they're coming either raised by other family members, by, you know, moms. They've been in the system for a while, like oftentimes mental illness, mental abuse that they can't uh, care for the children, you know, physical abuse, emotional, you know, sexual abuse, just like crazy stories and crazy stuff. So, I mean, just being there is a lot because they've never seen a positive male role model. So just being there and being present and asking them how their day was or taking them to the park or playing ball with them, I think hopefully they remember that and see that as like what a good male role model is and that there are you know men that may come in their life that actually will care for them and be there for them and maybe they'll 
change the trajectory of their life because obviously a lot of the times, unfortunately, if a child is there, the parental rights are terminated and they're like in the system. So like the state basically is the guardian. The older you are, the harder it is to adopt you. And oftentimes you stay till you're 18 and then you're out of the system. You're like in the street. So in that situation, you have like a 50 percent higher chance to end up, you know, in a gang, drugs, uh, you know, commit suicide. And like the statistics go a lot up to kind of the negative side. Oh my God. Yeah. That's, that's heartbreaking. Well, uh, again, I, I cannot say this enough. You're, you're my hero for doing that. And I, you know, now I have a, a homework because now I want to, now I'm really, really curious about your, your first episodes where you talk about all of these experiences. So um, now you're inspiring. Now, now this is a two way inspiration kind of thing. Um, so uh, I don't know. That's um, what I have in terms of the project. I don't know the, um, do you, do, you, uh, do you have any other like questions in the uh, Yeah, so what's one piece of advice chamber? you can leave with the audience, personal or professional? Uh, that's a good question because I'm since I'm so um I would definitely in, in recent years the the thing that I have learned that has made me the happiest and the most profitable and the most fulfilled is I would definitely say consciousness and focus. I think if those two things are present, everything else will gradually fall into place. And when I say focus, I like the the practical part of focus is what really matters in your life. You know, and and the, what the, well, some of the tools that helped me really gain that focus is silence, like you said. Actually, I do silence retreats, which I haven't done in a long time, but I, I really, really value those. Uh, and, and, and consciousness, for me, which is very probably the same for you or very similar, is... When I wake up every single morning before I work out, I I, I say my prayers, but not religious prayers. It's just, you know, prayers to the universe. And and I always think of myself as an ant. And I'm like, I'm a very ambitious ant because I want to do really big things, even though I'm just a human. And, you know, if you see the planet, you cannot even see me. I'm not even a speck. And that, that kind of a consciousness of the present of what can I do now, or what I got now, which is life, opportunity to talk to you, to listen to your story as well, and to listen to people's stories and help people out. I think, if again, if that, that level of consciousness is with you and, and then you use that and then mix it with the focus to do things, for me, you're pretty much set. Because, I mean, money will come in and happiness will come in and, you know, everything else will kind of uh, roll. I wouldn't say automatically because you have to do the work, but it'll definitely, you will definitely feel a lot, if not no misery at all. One of, one of the reasons why I, I like social media to stay in touch, but I'm super careful not to let social media suck me into its whirlwind of misery is because you look at other people's lives because you're not conscious of yours. I, I do believe that that a lot of the social media misery that's coming and that's actually 
causing a lot of grief to uh, younger generations is because you're looking at other people's lives. When you could be like looking at your own and say, oh my God, this is a really good thing that I have. And even if it's a bad thing, how can I turn this bad thing into a good thing? Just like you have consistently, you know, that, that's what I would like to share with the world. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you or anything else you have going on? Yeah. Um, well, you, you can find uh, the, the AlejandroMethod.com. That's where you're going to find the project. That's And, you know, there's a lot of ways to contact me there. I always, always come back to people. And it's not a bot. It's always me. Um, and the other thing is basically you can probably find me on Alejandro Berea on Twitter. And I'll, I will always get back to you. Uh, even though you see that I don't tweet a lot, um, you know, I do check it out and I'll come back to you. And, you know, if you want to learn more about the project, the AlejandroMethod.com is right there. I'll be thrilled to hear about you or, you know, if you just have questions, pretty much anything, weird conversations, I love that. Uh, I, I did mention that I have an un, unhealthy uh, obsession with Archer. So if you want to talk about crazy or weird, uh, you know, shows or whatever, I'm, you know, I, I just love that kind of interaction. So, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Thank you so much, Roman. Uh, it's, su it's a su super honor to be with you and be, be here with you, man. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.